first commandment, you know, the, is, is not go forth and preach. The first commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. On that commandment, the whole law depends, as he said so clearly. And I, I do believe that if we're going to authentically, really, actually love other people, we will respect them. We will cherish them. We will listen to them. Now, having said all that, we will also tell them what we think is the truth. We will also tell them what, what we deeply believe is so important for the well-being of humanity, what we have learned in Jesus of Nazareth. We, 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 we are missionaries. Christians cannot, cannot be, cannot not be missionaries. We, and we want to let others know. But if we're loving these people to whom we are witnessing, we will also be ready and open our hearts and minds to let them witness also to us. My path was clear and straight ahead, but now every day is a What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Deconstructionist Podcast. I'm Adam Narlock. And I'm John Williamson. Oh, my goodness. And we have news you are, and a killer episode. You are visibly excited. I'm super excited because it like this has been a long time coming. We've been working on it forever. We've been thinking about it, planning for it for like since we started. And finally, we have a date. This is a result of Patreon, by the way. Absolutely. 100%. Everybody that's supporting us on Patreon, you are bringing the incarnation of deconstruction to your local town. That's right. So Denver, you are a test market. So no pressure. The sunshine state. But it is all <laughs> on your shoulders. Sorry. I don't think it's a sunshine state, is it? Old school reference. Is it? That's oh, a, that's, that's an old school movie quote. Oh. <laughs> I, I totally went way over my head. <laughs> Luke Wilson is really drunk at that wedding, and he I finds mean, out that that one person is moving to Denver, and he's like, ah, oh, sunshine state. <laughs> I Sorry. Forgot about, I forgot about that. It's a good movie. Oh, man. We were just talking about Step Brothers. Now we're into old school. So There we go. <laughs> so anyway. Denver. Denver. So uh, we are coming to, we have a venue finally uh, locked down. We're finalizing details on that. We've got times. And as of the release of this podcast, we will have tickets. Yep. So we want to keep it as cheap as possible. So we figured out. We just, we just got to pay for the room. <laughs> yeah, so we figured out a way to basically cover the room, and, yeah. and that's it. So everything else, um, you know, uh, anyway. So <laughs> uh, the Savoy at Curtis Park is where we're doing it. Um, looks like a really cool venue, and um, we're going to open the doors uh, a little bit before 7 uh, and, and go from about 7 to 11. So um, oh, it's going to be so much fun. Yeah. It is going to be a night of... A little bit of content, some stimulation, but mainly just interacting and, yeah. and some kind of structured ways for us all to interact together. And music. And music. And it's just going to be freaking beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's going to be so good to be with you guys. Like that's, that's kind of always been our dream is to just like make conversations happen and, and be a part of them and to actually be in a room. Like I can almost feel the energy right now with, with people that are coming in just ready to talk, ready to open it up, ready to explore, ready to meet new people, ready to share ideas. Um, maybe vent a little bit, maybe get some stuff off your chest. Yeah. Like, oh, it's going to be great. 
Yeah, so we're 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 not going to reveal it quite yet how we're going to structure it, but um, we have some really cool ideas planned um, for you guys. And the biggest part is we want to start a conversation that continues long after we leave Denver, and um, and we want to invade your personal space too. So yeah, there's going to really be a lot do. of hugging. Yeah, so lots of hugging. I hope you guys are ready for that. So Denver people, uh, if you want to help out, now is the time to start getting the word out. So if you've already seen it up on social media. Uh, continue to tell your friends if you live in the area. Um, you know, buy tickets uh, now. Reserve that date. Um, it is April twenty eighth. It's Saturday night. Uh, so get your babysitters. You know, plan it. Put it on the calendar. It, invite as many friends as you can because, again, Denver, this is on your shoulders. So if this fails miserably, we may never do this again. Mm. <laughs> so it is not going to fail miserably. No, because. It's you guys that are going to make this fun, exciting, special, cool, unique, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, like back in the old days when your parents used to, you know, tell you, you know, why aren't you inviting your friends to church? And you're just like, because it's weird and I don't know. There's, (laughs) I can't, I don't, I can't do it. You have like no excuse now. It's like, there's going to be music. It's at like a really cool space and we're going to have conversations that anybody can be a part of no matter what walk of life you're from. Uh, deconstruction and the whole idea, like the positive spin that, that we think we bring to deconstruction is like good for anybody yeah. and everybody. So that's what we're, we're bringing to the Denver area and we are excited. Yeah. So if you're, if you're into, uh, if you're into to spirituality or religion or whatever, or even if you're not like, we want to create a safe space, just like we do with the podcast here, we want to create that live. Um, so again, tell your friends, you know, bring people, you know, fa- friends, family members with you, whatever, um, and uh, share it on social media. So it'll be out on social media. Um, again, it's April 28th. It's that Saturday evening at the Savoy at Curtis Park. It's going to be super cool. Um, and uh, like I said, we'll be, we'll be talking about it all over the place on social media leading up to the event. So yeah, we're really, we're really stoked. So thank you for Denver. Thank you to Denver, all of you in Denver for um, really inviting us to your city. Yeah. And, and making us feel like uh, you want us there. <laughs> and, oh, my gosh. Yeah, we're thank, stoked. Thank you to all the people who have reached out and yes. offered to help spread the word. Um, you guys are amazing. If we haven't gotten back to you, um, hang tight. We will get back to you. We're still catching up on emails. Yep. So. And now, ladies this and gentlemen. Guest. N- ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> ladies, there are so many little tasty treats that we think we've brought you over, over the years. And, and oftentimes, John and I really, really enjoy bringing the lesser known but the absolute titan guests that like maybe you just didn't know about. Yeah. Maybe you just didn't know about this person or this kind of, you know, vein of, of, of research or, or work or whatever. Um, for some of you, that might have been like Tad DeLay last week. It's like, didn't know about him. And now you're like, oh my gosh. Or like Pauline Boss. I feel like a lot of people were like, how did I miss this lady? This is gold. Uh, this is another one. Yeah. Who do we got this week? So this is Paul F. Knitter. Uh, he's a Paul Tillich Professor of Theology, World Religions, and Culture at Union Theological Seminary in the city of New York, and Professor Emeritus of Theology at Xavier University here in Ohio. Uh, this guy is a guy that I was really excited about getting because um, he was one of the pioneers of one of the models of um, theologies of religions. So um, I, when we had our series on religious pluralism, he's one of the guys that, that really pioneered one of those models. And how do we find grace potentially in other in other religions? Mm. And uh, so, so we've read a couple of his books, know their name. 
um, in one of the books that Adam has been binge reading lately, and oh, I'm so pumped so about good, it. so good, man. Without Buddha, I could not be a Christian. And honestly, guys, this is one of those books that if what we're doing on this podcast space is resonating with you, this is kind of one of those must-reads. Without Buddha, I could not be a Christian. Um, kind of just a, a tongue-in-cheek title. Um, he kind of explained, this is like an autobiography of his deconstruction starting in the 70s and finding a lot of kind of problems with the language we use in religion and some of the ideas that we're so dogmatic about and how learning from other people actually just enriched his own faith and that there's nothing that could be more true to what we think is like the, the positive side of deconstruction than compassionate listening and widening who you are and where you are by doing a really good job listening to people that are not like you. And so this book, Without Buddha, I Could Not Be a Christian, guys, it's freaking awesome. It's and, and so good. One, one cool note, one cool fact that you mentioned earlier before we started recording, he stuttered, uh, studied under one of like the godfathers. Oh, man. Vatican II architect, Carl freaking Rahner. And if you don't know who Carl Rahner is, it's okay. We're not going to shame you. <laughs> you should stop what you're doing right now, unless you're driving, that is, and Google Carl Rahner and be one of the people that's in the know yeah. at this point. Because Carl Rahner is one of those guys that if you like this kind of stuff, you got to read some Carl Rahner. You got We can't interview him because he's dead. Right. Kind of same deal with Tillich. <laughs> same deal with John O'Donohue, who I'm reading right now. There's uh, just so many beautiful dead people. I know. <laughs> um, but Carl Rahner is absolutely just, he's a titan. He's absolutely amazing. And this guy studied under him, and he holds the Tillich chair. I mean, come on. In, in that's not a mashup. I mean, come on, man. This guy is, <laughs> and, and when you hear this interview, which we'll get to right now, he's so warm. He's so loving. He's so intelligent. Yeah. I mean, this is just one of those episodes where John and I just kept looking at each other when we were recording it going, is this happening? This is so good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. What a treat. So much fun. Well, without further ado, I mean, we should just get right to this. Well, I mean, I, I think we need to point this out before we go, though. His middle initial, he does go by Paul F. Knitter. <laughs> we're just going to assume that stands for freaking. It, it has to. <laughs> it must. Yeah. So, yeah, without further ado, we give you Paul, Paul. Freaking knitter. Remember younger days when the top stood still for us, and all we had was love, and all we had was new, and now we're all alone. The minds go dark and still, there's something long to wait. All right, well. Dr. Paul Knitter, it is just a, a real honor and a really, really appreciate you making time to be on the Deconstructionist podcast tonight and talk about all kinds of different things about religion and uh, all your work there, being Paul Tillich Professor of Theology at Union Theological Seminary. So thank you for being with us. I'm, I'm very happy to be with you. A real, a real privilege and opportunity. Thank you. So for, for those of you, uh, or for those of you, for those of our listeners who aren't as familiar with, uh, with maybe your work, um, I have uh, several of your books at this point uh, that I came across that I absolutely love. Um, obviously, uh, the, the big work uh, being No Other Name, um, and of course, uh, came across even more of your work uh, through some of the classes that I took in seminary. Um, if you could just give a, a brief overview of, of who you are and, and what you do specifically and, and the specific kind of work that you're involved in. 
Okay, and I'll try to, uh, to keep it uh, short, but also to um, make it a bit personal. Um, you know, we were, we were talking about just how this whole relatively new area of Christian theology, namely a theology of religions, um, how can Christians make sense of other religions is the main topic of this branch of theology, how it got started. Um, I say it's relatively new, and in a sense, um, my own life kind of embodies um, the development of this field of theology. So if I can just get a little bit personal here, um, I think it might be helpful. I, um, I, I'm, I grew up and still as a Roman Catholic, and I still am a, a Roman Catholic, a struggling Roman Catholic, uh, <laughs> as I think many Roman Catholics are. Um, <laughs> But um, I, I was born way back in 1939 and uh, in the old Catholic Church, so that's before the Second Vatican Council. And, um, and I decided after uh, already in eighth grade that I wanted to be um, a priest, and not just a priest, but a missionary priest. In other words, I wanted to go out to train myself to go out and uh, convert other people's to the gospel and to the and to the Christian Church, of course that you know for Catholics at that time the Christian Church meant the Catholic Church. But anyway, I embody what I think was a general attitude of many Christians, if not most Christians, namely that if you weren't in the Christian Church, you were going to have a heck of a dare I say hell of a hard time avoiding hell. <laughs> um, in other words, you, there is no, as, as the statement um, that goes way back to the early church, to St. Cyprian, uh, um, declares, outside the church there is no salvation. Um, and that was pretty much taught by most of the Christian churches. And so, and I believed it. I, I believed it deeply. And since I loved all these people in other religions, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, Judaism, since I loved them, I wanted to go out and save them, because I felt that if they did not convert, you know, to the Christian church, they would be lost. So that's how I started. And I started with what would be called today in, in the theology of religions, a kind of a, an exclusivist attitude, an exclusivist theology of other religions. They were excluded as ways of finding God. Well, I started my training in the seminary, and part of that training was um, to, to uh, start studying and, and reading about these other religions. You have to know the people you're going to try to convert. But also, um, we had a lot of talks from missionaries returning from the missionary fields in, in Japan, in Indonesia, in India, in New Guinea, in Ghana, in Togoland, as it was called then. Um, you know, and, and, the, and the more I studied and the more I, I, I learned about these other religions, you know, they, they didn't look so bad. <laughs> you know, or there, there seemed to be a lot of good in them. And, and we used to say a prayer in the seminary, but by the way, I was I was studying to become a priest in what in the Society of the Divine Word. It's still a very active missionary order in the Catholic Church, um, uh, and uh, uh, we used to pray every day, three or four times a day, actually. May the darkness of sin 
and the night of heathenism vanished before the light of the word and the spirit of grace. So the darkness of sin and the night of heathenism was what you find in other religions. But as I said, the more I learned about these other religions, it, it didn't seem to be only darkness or only sin. So I was struggling. What was my work as a missionary? And then, I mean, how God worked in, in providential ways, I was at a point in my seminary studies where I was going to begin my theological studies, the last four years of training, the last four years of 14 years of preparation for, the, for ordination to the priesthood, I was sent to Rome to study my theology. That was back in 1962. Um, and, I mean, it was a great opportunity to study in Rome, um, but not, not only that, just to be in Rome, I landed in Rome. I arrived in Rome in September of 1962, at the end of the month. Two or three weeks later, on October 11, 1962, I still remember the day, the Second Vatican Council began. Uh, so I was, I was, I had the privilege of standing in the, in the Piazza of St. Peter's, up the, uh, what's the English, the, the, the square of St. Peter's, um, when Pope John the 23rd led some 2,200 bishops into, into the cathedral to start the Second Vatican Council. And that was an experience in itself, being in Rome during those three years of the council. But, now here's sort of the point I'm getting to. One of the, one of the statements, in that council, the Second Vatican Council, a statement called in its Latin title, Nostra Etate in Our Age, um, was a statement on the, the attitude of the Catholic Church towards what they called non-Christian religions. And John and Adam, I couldn't believe what I read in that statement back in 1965. Uh, where the Catholic Church said that that there is good and there are values in other religions, mm. that God is working in other religions. Mm. And, and, and then they added, and that Christians are called upon to dialogue with other religions. Wow. Um, so this was, for me, a, just a, 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 an enlightenment, a, a liberation, as it were, from from a kind of a negative, exclusivist theology to an, an inclusivist theology. Now, that's another model that developed there, you know, especially uh, in the, in the, in, at the Second Vatican Council. But soon, years right after that, I'll, I won't go into this, but the World Council of Churches followed through with much of the same call for dialogue with other religions. So it was, you know, both Catholic and Protestant churches were opening themselves up to... to to recognize the possible presence of God in other religions. And so, but it was an inclusivist model, and by that, it was meant that they affirmed, they, they this new theology affirmed the presence of God and the working of God and the possibility of learning, you know, from these other religions. Um, but it also was inclusivist in that it, 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 it called it stated that, however, the fullness of truth and the final truth was contained in, in Christianity, in the gospel, in the revelation given to all humankind in Jesus Christ. And so um, all of these good things in other religions, this council called, what it, in, uh, excuse me if I use the Latin, it's so clear, a preparatio evangelica, a preparation for the gospel. 
Mm. So the good was there, but it was meant to prepare them to become Christian. Now, for me at that time, though, that was still a liberation. But as the years have gone on, I and other Christians struggling to try to figure out the main question, well, if we're called to dialogue with other religions, um, that dialogue means really opening ourselves and trying to meet on a common ground so that we can really learn from each other, each of us making the claims of truth that we, that we feel God or the or ultimate reality has given us. But how can you have a real dialogue if you're your intent is to absorb the other religion into yourself, to make everybody Christians. In other words, to remove, ultimately, all these other religions and make them all Christians. Mm. And that was a point I, was, I and so many others have been struggling with. And over these years, and this is what I was trying to get at in that book you mentioned, uh, No Other Name. It, by the way, that title had a question mark behind it. No Other Name? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How are we Christians to understand the, the, you know, that text from the Acts of the Apostles, there is no other name given to humankind by which they can be saved except the name of Jesus. How are we to understand this in the world of many religions? And we have been, and then we, I say we, so many other Christian theologians um, have been developing what and proposing and exploring what is called like a third model, uh, a third kind of theology of religions, which is called more of a pluralistic understanding of religions, where it recognizes that each religion can have, and in the case of Christianity, we're speaking out of our own faith, does have truth that God intends for all human beings. It is saving truth for everyone. But, but we're, now rec- we're now open. We now open our minds and our hearts to the possibility that God may be offering God's truth and God's presence and God, that means God's grace. Mm. Also, in other religions, a grace and a truth that may be also important, if not necessary, for other religions. So that just as we Christians know for sure, excuse me if I'm speaking um, as a Christian to Christians, I know all your your listeners may not, necessarily be Christians, but just speaking to my fellow Christians, while we, while we Christians, you know, from our own experience and our own lives feel that, know that in our faith, our trust in our faith that God has spoken in Jesus, if you're a pluralist Christian, you're also open to the fact of being surprised by the Holy Spirit, by, the, by what the Holy Spirit may be saying to us in Buddha, or in Muhammad, mm. or in Mao Tzu, um, and, and to see what we might learn. And that's been the path I've been, been pursuing. This is a little bit long-winded here, but um, one, it's, it's, it's kind of, so I, I, I grew up in the exclusivist model. You know, I was liberated in the Second Vatican Council by the inclusivist model of theology of religions. And now I have been trying carefully, respectfully, I hope, uh, in developing um, what, is, what is called a pluralist theology of religions. And by the way, I'll just add, this would be another topic, in my own dialogue with other religions, I have found 
that it is especially Buddhism that has challenged me. Mm. If I may put it this way, it is especially Buddhism where I find the Holy Spirit speaking to me. Mm. Um, and so I try to figure out just what I learned from Buddhism a couple of years back when I, when I retired, when I first retired from teaching at Xavier University in Cincinnati, that's before I moved on to Union Theological Seminary, I, I wrote a book um, with the title, a little bit of a, of a <laughs> you might say a racy title, I, but, <laughs> uh, but, but it, 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 it's an honest title, it's a sincere title. Without Buddha, I could not be a Christian. Mm. I have found that Buddhism has so enriched my Christian life that I can't imagine following Jesus without also listening to Buddha. Mm. Anyway, that's kind of the, the three models, and uh, kind of more in my own personal life and, and, and searching as a Christian, and how, how they've been, been expressed in my own life. Hey, you just didn't give us anything to go on there. <laughs> 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 that was wonderful. <laughs> oh, man. Fantastic. <laughs> And to prove to my, my college professor that I did learn something along the way, I was like, yep, yeah, okay, I, I know which model he's talking about, so this is good. But um, I'll do John the smile on your face. <laughs> yeah. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just find this, this, this topic to be so interesting and, and to, uh, to discover it and not realize that this was even a, a topic of study that even existed was just like opening a treasure trove of information for me. Um, so... So I think the, the, the good place to start was you, you've kind of gone over some of the models already, um, and, and I was just kind of looking over my notes here. Um, so you talk about potentially four models within, within your books, uh, the replacement model, the fulfillment model, the mutuality model, the acceptance model. Um, I, I wondered yeah. if you could, uh, for, for people listening, I think it'd be really interesting to kind of give a, a high-level overview of uh, what do each of those mean, and, uh, and where do you find yourself uh, currently, which model have have you done the most work in that you feel kind of answers the question most satisfactorily? Yeah, right. So those those models that um, I describe in the in that book, introducing theologies of religions that you're referring to, um, I, I, I in a sense I have given my own names to the three models I mentioned earlier. So the replacement model is really just a synonym for what I uh, earlier called in, our, in this conversation the exclusivist model. Mm. That's the model that believes that not only outside of um, Christ, out, um, out, outside of Jesus, there is no salvation. It affirms that, um, because there are some Christians who believe that because of the death of and, and resurrection of Jesus, God's grace has been given to all people. Mm-hmm. This model, the replacement model, says, no, you have to have express contact through the preached word with the message of Jesus, and you, and you have to make a choice of accepting that message. Otherwise, um, you're not going to make it. Mm-hmm. You're, 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 you, you cannot be saved. That's the replacement model. The, the uh, fulfillment model is my word for the inclusivist model, says, no, no, no. There, so the, 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 the replacement model says there's, there's only one true religion, and it's Christianity. The fulfillment model, also called inclusivist model, um, says, no, there may be many 
true religions. In other words, God is working in many religions. This was the message of the Second Vatican Council that I that I mentioned earlier. But there are so there are many true religions, but one of them is the best. One of them contains the fullness of truth, and that is Christianity. And that, to be to be to be honest with you, that model um, is the 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 fulfillment model is the, if I may put it this way, the kind of the official uh, model, the accepted model within the Roman Catholic Church. It's this one that's taught by, uh, has been taught by um, the, uh, what, by the, the, you know, Vatican sources and the papal teachings. But it is also the, I think, the dominant model within uh, what we can call the mainline churches. Mm-hmm. Um, that you know, the World Council, the churches of the World Council of Churches. Um, um, and then the, the third model um, that um, w- was mentioned, that I mentioned was the the um, uh, mutuality model, which is another word, a synonym for the pluralist model. This says no, there can be truth in many religions. So there are many true religions, and no one religion can claim to have the fullness of truth about God and the final word of truth about God. Um, so they all, and so what they have to do is live in mutuality. They have to learn from each other. They have to be in dialogue. That would be the mutuality model. Now, a fourth model, which I had not mentioned earlier, you know, is more of a recent development. When I say recent, I'm an old timer, so a recent <laughs> can mean that over the past 20, 25 years, um, is, um, is what is called the um, acceptance model. Um, and that is the model. This comes out of more of a philosophical, um, maybe even anthropological perspective, uh, where it says that all of, all of our cultures are so different. First of all, first of all, they say two things. They say, every time, anything we know, we human beings, anything we know is always conditioned by, influenced by, our culture, the context in which we've been brought up with. No one, we cannot, no one can, can see the truth as it were without glasses. We're all wearing cultural glasses. Mm. We always see the truth through our glasses. And so, so what I see through my cultural glasses, my American, you know, in my case, Catholic uh, cultural glasses, is going to be different from what a Japanese Buddhist sees through his his Asian Japanese Buddhist glasses. So that's what they say. And so we're really different. We're really, really different. And then they say the second thing, and these differences are too are so great that really a an American Catholic cannot really understand a Japanese Buddhist, you know, just to give an example. Right. And therefore we should just accept the fact that we're all different and be, be nice to each other and our differences. Don't fight with each other. Recognize that we're all, you know, trying to be human in our different ways, and let's just get along. It's kind of like a good neighbor, a religious good neighbor policy. <laughs> um, but, you know, we, 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 we all live behind our own fences, you know? 
our own religious senses. I have a Christian sense. Japanese have a Buddhist sense. Chinese have a, have a Confucian sense. And, 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 and that's, you know, that a Muslim sense. That can be the case not just between the United States and China or Arabia. It's right here in Chicago and Philadelphia and New York. We have these diff- different religions. But we're all, we, with this model, the acceptance model says, stay, with, stay inside your own fence. Be nice to each other across the fence, but don't try to, uh, you know, don't try to um, uh, convert each other, but don't, don't even try to learn from each other, because just be nice to each other. Mm. And that's, that's a fourth model. It's, 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 it's a more recent development, as I said, mm. called the acceptance model. Let's just accept each other. November cold to keep us warm And the bottles keeping it alive So out of those models, uh, obviously you've done a lot of work within the, the mutuality model. And, and one of the guys who I discovered who I really enjoy, um, who was influential in Vatican II, um, Carl Rahner, um, I, it seems did a lot of work with the fulfillment model. But it seems, and if I understand this correctly, I think you were a student of his. Is that right? Yes, I had the privilege of studying wow. with Father Rahner in uh, Minster in the, at the University of Minster in, uh, in Germany Unreal. Uh, back at the end of the 60s. Yeah. Oh, that's incredible. Wonderful. It was wonderful opportunity. So you've, I I think it'd be uh, fair to say that you've kind of gone beyond the work that, that he even did. He kind of took it, took things a little further, kind of uh, pushed the church. And and, and I know, and this is always, you know, you you want to respect your teacher, but, but um, I really felt that Father, Father Rahner and, and was so influential in the Second Vatican Council, um, but he still held that, and as to so many Christians, let's be honest here, and I, I want to be respectful of that, but he still held that, that ultimately um, God would, because, because God has given God's fullest revelation in Jesus, in the, in, in the incarnate word of Jesus that, that we find in Jesus of Nazareth, that we encounter in Jesus of Nazareth. Because of that, that's the fullness of Revelation. And while these people in other religions, Buddhists, Hindus, they can be saved by being good Buddhists and good Muslims and good and good Hindus, still, Rahner felt that ultimately God wants them all to, to become Christians. Mm-hmm. Now, my take on that is that, and maybe we can talk a little bit about this, Yeah. The more I understand of the teachings of Jesus, and the more I try in my always limited way, both as a Christian believer and as a, um, you know, a professional theologian, to understand the gospel, the more I find that, that, that we, we Christians, if, if we really want to take Jesus seriously and understand him, um, would recognize that, um, that I don't know if Jesus wanted everyone necessarily, you know, to join his, his team. I mean, I, I think his, his, his primary, primarily he, he wanted, um, 
the members of his team, his mm. followers, Christians, you know, to find the first and foremost obligation, obligation, if you want to put it that way, way we have towards others. Yeah. Is, you know, I don't, is to love them. Mm. That's the primary, the first commandment, you know, the, is, is not go forth and preach. The first commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. On that commandment, the whole law depends, as he says so clearly. Mm. And I, I do believe that if we're going to authentically, really, actually love other people, we will respect them. Mm. We will cherish them. We will listen to them. Now, having said all that, we will also tell them what we think is the truth. Right. We will also tell them what, what we deeply believe is so important for the well-being of humanity, what we have learned in Jesus of Nazareth. We, 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 we are missionaries. Christians cannot, cannot be, cannot not be missionaries. We, mm. we go forth, we, and we want to let others know. But if we're loving these people to whom we are witnessing, we will also be ready and open our hearts and minds so let them witness also to us. Mm. Recognizing always, as Jesus put it, if I may refer to this from John's Gospel, that the Father is greater than I. The mm. Father is greater than all of us. I mean, both beyond anything we can know, God's ultimate truth, all religions, all religions, I think, uh, nowadays you're not supposed to ever say all, but in this case, <laughs> not it, I will. Uh, um, all religions recognize that what they are after or what they feel they have experienced, whether they call it God or whether they call it um, Nirvana or whether they call it Brahman or whether they call it the Tao or whether they call it Allah, they all recognize that that, that is a mystery that is beyond anything human beings can fully comprehend. Mm. God is always greater. Um, God is always more. Now, that doesn't in any way deny that we can know something of God. We do, thanks to, for us Christians, thanks to Jesus. Right. As well as to the, to the, the beauties of creation and such. It's not just Jesus. Right. But, but, but we know, in a sense... The deeper we go into an experience of God, and in our case as Christians, the deeper we go into an experience of the God of Jesus, the more we know at the same time that this God transcends everything that we can ever know, that this yeah. God is always going to be a God of further truth and deeper truth and, and greater surprises, and especially if you take you know, Jesus' teaching on the Holy Spirit, when he said the Holy Spirit's going to come, he's gonna, the Holy Spirit's going to teach even greater things than you may have heard from me. You know, um, if we take that seriously, I think we have to be, to be open to others. And so, you know, I'm, I'm still a missionary, in a, in a sense, um, but I understand a missionary, and, and I'm really very proud to say that the society... Um, of the divine word that I was part of. By the way, I, I, I forgot to mention in my whole, you know, I was ordained a priest, but then, and was a priest for nine years, and then, and then made the difficult decision that, uh, that I left the priesthood and, but, and then eventually got married. 
um, and then went on to be able to teach theology. But I'm still very connected with the Society of the Divine Word, mm. and I'm very happy to say that they are one of the many missionary orders now. I can speak for Catholic, the missionary orders in the Catholic Church. I don't know that much about missions, um, mission theology of Protestant churches, but they understand missionary work as, this is their one-sentence um, uh, definition of missionary work today. Hmm. To be a missionary is to engage in prophetic dialogue. To be a missionary is to engage in prophetic dialogue. By dialogue, that means we go out to do what you have to do to have a dialogue, to tell others what you think is the, is the truth, to listen to what they think is the truth, and, 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 to, and to try to grow together. But, but the, the Society of the Divine Word adds prophetic dialogue, namely, we are speaking out of the prophetic message of Jesus Christ. And that message is a message that is meant to both inspire as well as to upset us um, mm. in what God really calls us to do. So missionary work is prophetic dialogue. We go out to witness and to be witnessed to, to challenge and to be challenged. So I think, I mean, for me, that seems to really sustain a very, you know, a, 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 to sustain a deep commitment to Christ and to the gospel and to our Christian identity. Mm. I, I say that because a lot of people say, "Oh, if you're a if you're a pluralist or a mutualist, you are given up on the gospel." Heck, no! <laughs> I love it, <laughs> Paul. Let me let me ask you a question. There's something you said that really, really sparked some interest um, for me. So, so much of this is going to be so good because I think a lot of the reasons that people might be finding themselves listening. Um, maybe even in the closet a little bit to, to like, you know, the deconstructionist podcast is because they, they feel uncomfortable mm-hmm. with a lot of the uh, more overly structured, um, overly authoritative, maybe uh, overly fundamentalist religion that maybe they've had, or uh, maybe there was, you know, some, some kind of thing that sparked them to, to start to look into other views and really start to question and give voice to some of their doubts. And they find themselves here and, um, your work is incredibly important for that, um, that area. Um, because so many people just want to know, you know, what, what about other religions? And, and so much of this is so germane to what so many people are, are wondering and have felt for so long, maybe even ashamed to wonder or guilty because they're yeah. wondering this stuff. But specifically something that you said, um, is something that's come up on this podcast from time to time. And it's a question, you know, speaking about our religion versus their religion and, and you kind of always going back to talking about Jesus and, and, you know, what was Jesus really after? And the more you get into Jesus, the more you actually see that, you know, maybe some of this stuff that we have isn't exactly what he would have even taught. The question I want to ask is, do you think that Jesus was even trying to establish another religion? You know, when we think of religion yeah. in terms of tribalism, indoctrination, assimilation, uh, conquering, swallowing up other religions, you know, uh, they're usually attached to the state or to the nation. They're usually um, working in the same power structures as other religions. Um, and it seems like a lot of the things that Jesus said and did uh, left us all wondering, you know, when you'd say things like, you know, destroy this temple, you know, not one, you know, not one stone is going to be left on another. And, you know, I've not come to abolish the law, but, but to fulfill it. And, 
you know, a lot of the, <laughs> even the conversations in the New Testament had some of the disciples wondering, like, what do we even do now? Do people need to follow the law? Like, do we need to <laughs> circumcise? Like, do we go, well, what do we do now? Like, was he even trying to establish another religion? I honestly don't know. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a very, very uh, important question. And from what, you know, and I'm not a New Testament scholar, uh, although I really try to read as much as I can of, uh, of books by New Testament scholars, and I think it is generally recognized today that from what we can know of the, you know, what is called the historical Jesus, from, from as much as we can really try get back to what was the kind of the original vision um, and message of Jesus before it was, you know, an, an, um, a, a tailored, you know, and, and, and adapted to, to, the, to, to, to the Greek Roman culture as the apostles moved into the Roman Empire out of, out of um, Palestine. Um, from what we can tell, um, Jesus, I don't, Jesus was not against religion, um, but he did not want to found a new religion. Mm. I think he was like so many of his fellow, of his, you know, the line of prophets, in in um, in Israel in the history of Judaism, yeah, he wanted to purify his own religion, yeah, um, and 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 so the, the quote that you made, you know, I, I did not come to abolish the law, you know, he did not want to. So the the practices in the temple, you know, the the laws as they were understood, um, he affirmed those, but he wanted, I mean, he what he wanted was for people not to get hung up on <laughs> the practices of religion mm. but, and, and, and to, make, to, to make them the end. But he saw religion as a means to an end. Uh, to an end. And what was that end? To come to this deep, I dare say, I dare say mystical experience of God as love. Mm. Of God as in, and this God who is was was holding us is part of us is always present to us. This God who even calls us, you know, to to love those people who hate us, because God in God's self loves even sinners, the people who who seem to hate God. Mm. That we are called, you know, to have that kind of a deep personal, it, 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 more prayerful, contemplative experience of this God, the kind of experience that he, I, I bet he, he, you know, he was opening himself to when he, he, you know, he wanders off into the desert and, and takes time out off to go up by himself to pray. Um, you know, the God that he was getting in contact with right before the Romans caught him and were about to execute him in the Garden of Gethsemane. I mean, those mystical moments, you know, are, I think what God, what Jesus was calling us you know, to, to do. But, but in other words, <laughs> if I may put it in some jargon that we're, we, we go around today, <laughs> he was calling people primarily to be spiritual by being religious. That's you know, good. I don't think Jesus was saying being spiritual and not religious. Right. No, but he wanted them to be spiritual, to find this deep spirituality in their religion, feeling that, that that's the that's what religion, the purpose of religion is, to lead this 
lead us to this deep spirit. So um, I think, to answer your questions, he didn't want to found a new religion, um, but he did want to deepen the spiritual potential mm. uh, of, of, of his own religion, his, his, his beautiful Jewish religion. Um, but, and, you know, without going into it, we know from history um, that just given the history, there was, um, there was a, uh, the, 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 Jewish, the Jesus followers right after the resurrection were all basically Jews. And for, for, for many years, they thought that to be a good Jesus follower, you had to be a Jew. And then, you know, Paul and, and, and Peter, you know, had, had arguments about that. And, as, and we see that as things developed, the Jesus followers went their own way. They call it like the separate, the, the parting of the ways. That's how one scholar put it. So, you know, they, and so the Jesus followers became Christians. They weren't Christians in the beginning. With the beginning. And the, the followers of the Mosaic Revelation, the called the, the Torah, became, continued to be their own religion, and we had the separation of the religion. Um, so, but I mean, I, anyway, that's, again, <laughs> ask the theologian the question, and you never get a short answer. I love sorry. it. I, uh, so, but, this is not a pod, this is not a space for short answers, Paul. <laughs> we frown, yeah, we frown on short funny. answers here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would appreciate a few yes or no, though. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. We're we're too busy enjoying your answers, so so it's not like so. I think what you're what you're saying to kind of maybe sum it up in my own words. It, it, Jesus wasn't looking to use religion to be religious, and he also wasn't looking to make people spiritual and not religious. He was looking to show people yeah. religion as a means of being truly spiritual. Yes, that you said it very well. Yes, that's what I believe, that, and and I think in, again. I think the majority of scholars would endorse that. Oh, I, I love that. I, I think there's an awakening right now of people starting to, you know, we even had this guy on the show recently, uh, his name is Zach Hogue, uh, and he wrote this really great book recently called The Light is Winning. And, and his, after deconstruction, he really came to a place where he's like, you know, I, you can't, th- this is good stuff. Like, religion is a beautiful means to uh, mysticism and to experience of God and his love which, uh, you know, orients us towards the other and, and all of this ancient, wonderful, beautiful stuff. Like you, you gotta, it's beautiful. It's wonderful. And there's, there's, there's a, it's, 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 yeah, there's some revitalization going on right now. Right. Right. I think a lot of it comes under, it's it, under different, uh, you know, different uh, rubrics or titles, but one of them is talked about now is, is under the rubric of the, the emergent church. Yes. Yeah. The movement of the emergent church. I think that's what we're getting at. Or kind of a, in, 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 uh, in other aspects, just more of a contemplative kind of Christianity. Absolutely. With a stress on, on centering prayer and things like that. To really, which is using Christian tradition totally. to bring us to a more personal a more contemplative, I like the word mystical, yeah. uh, experience of our of our unity with God. Beautiful. You know, God, John's gospel is so clear. I and the Father are one, and you are one in us. As I am one with the Father, so you are one with me, and we are both one with the Father. My heavens, that is heavy-duty, beautiful mysticism. You know? Yes. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> it's what, what's interesting. I think fascinating for for us as as uh, the, the very fortunate, lucky uh, hosts of of this podcast is that what we're finding is that a lot of folks, you know, not just younger, you know, the younger folks, but like people of all ages mm-hmm. who are kind of reengaging and, and reexperiencing uh, a life of faith um, are doing so yep. in a way that is is beyond just this narrow path that they were originally on, uh, perhaps. Um, and, and so it's very interesting to watch because uh, they're pulling in Protestant theologians, they're pulling in Catholic theologians. Uh, one of one of our favorite guests and one of the uh, the one of the more popular theologians authors out there right now is um, like Father Richard Rohr. Um, he was a Franciscan oh, monk, yes. and so 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 not just uh, are we seeing this explosion of um, of searching within. Um, our own, you know, Protestant roots, and looking at you know, things that are written within that context. But people are looking into Catholic theology for the first time. If, if that's not their, um, uh, their right, their, the perennial know. tradition. Yes, uh, you know, going back to the early church fathers, looking at other religions, um, you know, and and exploring outside of those contexts. So um, it's been a very interesting thing to to watch. Hmm. Yeah. And for me, that's been um, that's been in my own life, as I just mentioned earlier. Later, uh, earlier that um, that it's been exploring other religions, particularly Buddhism, that has has just given me so many opportunities to uh, to you know to, you know to deepen my own Christian spirituality. Mm. So I, I think this would be a good spot to talk about. So so we we've identified these these various models um, as a means to. Um, uh, kind of answering that that bigger question, you know, can grace be attained or found in other religions and that sort of thing? Um, one of so let's look at some of the some of the roadblocks, some of the issues that people encounter when when trying to to make sense of this. Um, and so one of the the questions that I think kept coming back around in in in, in my course when I was when I was studying this, you know, the theology of religions was. Um, was the idea of the uniqueness of Christ specifically for Christians. That obviously yep. is something people keep running into. And so you talk about in your work this idea of the theocentric Christology. Um, Woo, that's, that's obviously... Mouthful. That's a mouthful. That's a, yeah, that's, that's, that's a big phrase right there. Um, I wondered if you could break that down, because I thought this was, this was a really fascinating concept. Mm. Right, right. You know, the, you, know, the, uh, you know, this whole encounter with other religions and trying to make sense not only of other religions, but of our own beliefs, our own Christian beliefs, uh, um, in the light of other religions, it's 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 just that's another opportunity for you know to face the question that Jesus uh, you know posed to his disciples: Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? You know, and that's a question that we have to keep asking and answering anew as the churches grow and as as history moves forward and as we have different experiences. So anyway, yes, um, a theocentric Christology. Um, <laughs> another example of some of the complicated uh, phrasing that theologians use. Mm-hmm. What, 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 I, what I and others, um, you know, have, uh, trying, have learned and are trying to express is that, again, going back to the gospel, when we look at the message of Jesus, he was not self-centered. Mm. You might say he was not Christ-centered, Christocentric. 
he was Abba centered, mm-hmm. but he called God his, his father. Yep. He was he was God centered. But counted most was not he who he was, um, but who God was. Um, now, now, having said that, and I think that's fundamental, he also believed that he had experience. He had been given to experience God in such a way that he saw aspects of God. He understood God in such a way that he felt it was important for others also to understand. In other words, he was saying that I want, I want us all to be centered on God, but in order to be centered on God, I think I have something vitally important to say. So you see, it was God-centered, but through Jesus. I mean, through himself. He, he, wanted, he had a message. So I, I'm so what, what I'm what I'm trying to I when I say I I mean I and others yeah um, we we're trying to develop a Christology an understanding of of Christ that would be not focused primarily or exclusively on Jesus but on the message of Jesus. Um, and the message of Jesus, as I just said, had to, d- to deal with the reality of God and what Jesus experienced, and he got this from his, his, his Jewish background, uh, he saw that God was up to something in human history. Mm. God wanted to achieve something in history through us, and for him, for Jesus, the key symbol I say symbol, the key image, um, the key word that he used to get at what God, what he felt God was up to, up to was, as it has been translated into the Greek of the New Testament, which is in the language of the New Testament, the basileia to theou, the reign of God, mm. the kingdom of God. Um, and this and again, New Testament scholars says this was the key, the, the, the center of Jesus' message. I, he came to announce not just God, but the reign of God. And the reign of God, again, we could say, what, what did he mean by the reign of God? Much can be said about that. But it was basically that he saw that in the, under the, he used this image of the reign, that's a social image. The, the reign, the kingdom, the the, the commonwealth, one theologian translates the Greek word basileia as commonwealth, the commonwealth of God, mm. um, as, as a way of people living together in the world, in a society in which all of them experience the God who calls, who loves them, and who calls them to, to, to love each other. And, now another and, uh, and to address especially the needs of people, the Anawim, the, the, the Hebrew for the poor, the people of the earth, the people who have been excluded, mm. the people who have been enslaved. So you cannot love God and love your neighbor unless you are also working for justice for yourself as well as for your neighbors who have been stepped up. And so this is this is the heart of Jesus' message. So it's, it's, not, 
you might even say the way I try to, to, to put it um, uh, in, in more recent writings is that Jesus was not Christocentric. And, and in a certain sense, you might say he was not theocentric, God-centered. He was, <laughs> using the Latin word regocentric, he was, he was kingdom-centric. He was reign-centric. Mm. That's what counted most. And so to follow Jesus we, means that you are working primarily to, to, with, with yourself, with your community, and with others to establish this reign of God, uh, this way of living in, in the world in which human beings can truly care about each other and can offset all the causes of injustice and suffering due to injustice. Mm. And to follow Christ, means to work for that goal. And where you will see others, whether they are Hindus or Buddhists or Muslims or even atheists who are working for a world of greater love and care and justice, hey, let's work with them. Let's, let's put our shoulder to shoulder and let's learn from each other. So I think that's kind of... of, of yeah, where, where the way I, 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 I'm in my own life, in my own faith, and the way I try to, to live out my Christian life in, 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 in relation to other religions, um, that's what it means for me to follow Christ. Mm. And it's kind of summarized in this beautiful, simple sentence by a good friend, fellow theologian of mine, a, a, a friend of mine, John Cobb, oh, yeah. who yep. says, Jesus is the way that is open to other ways. Jesus is the way that is open to other ways. So if you want to, so if you want to follow this way of Jesus, you have to do so in an openness to, in an engagement with people who are different than you, from you, people who are following other ways, so that all of us can work more towards what Jesus called. Um, the reign of God, a reign of, of peace and justice, uh, of compassion and justice, and where you have compassion and justice, you will have peace. Lord, if these are your children, why don't they look like you? Yeah, that's kind of uh, what we're dropping. We're dropping mics over here on your behalf. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, that, was, that was beautiful. That was, that was such a beautiful thing to say. Um, I, I have a question that, um, you know, it's, it's kind of an observation that I'm going to try to turn into a question and just get you to kind of riff on a little bit. So one of the things that I've noticed is, you know, in all these models that we've kind of talked about and when, you know, ways we engage with other people of the world when we've, you know, experienced uh, some, some sort of uh, identi- identification with, with a world religion, with, you know, specifically Christianity, and we want to engage with, mm-hmm. with people in the world, even, even if it's just uh, in our imagination, you know, I, th- I think of, you know, the high school student or the college student thinking for the first time, what about all those people that never heard you know, and, you know, we're all, you yeah. know, in some way, shape or form, whether it's on the ground, you know, by car, by plane, engaging with other cultures, or even if it's just 
in a textbook or in our imagination where we're engaging with cultures. And that's why this conversation is so important. So one of the things that I think I've noticed is that there, we, we have all these models and we need all these models, but in, in this, there's this presupposition. And it seems to me that in order for the traditional model that it's, it's only Christianity and that only functions in a very specific way with very specific language and very specific guidelines. Mm-hmm. And it has to be done. You know, you got to have your I's dotted and your T's crossed, but Oh, by the way, it's all by grace, which that, you know, is, is a problem even, even there. But <laughs> yeah. in that one of the biggest problems I have is, is I've noticed, do we caricaturize other people groups and other religions as overly pagan or dark or, uh, you know, uh, problematic in order to, to maybe bolster or exaggerate Christianity as the solution? Do we, do, I feel like we need to, in hearing you talk about your experience with Buddhism, I've had similar experiences. When you engage, we did a pluralism series on our podcast and when you engage and you actually sit down and talk with somebody from a people group and a religion and a perspective, be it Hindu, Islam, B- Buddhist, Jewish, atheist, whatever, and you, you just listen to them. One of, the thi- one of the first things that I start to think about is, oh my gosh, I am so guilty of overly caricaturizing your perspective yeah. in order to make my solution look more like a solution. And even like the etymology of like the word heathen, you know, we have, you know, it's people on the heath and, you know, on the fringes of society, the edges, you know, all out there has this sort of, uh, it suggests an inferiority. And, and I wonder, you know, why it doesn't seem to fit with what you see when you read the gospels and you see the way Jesus interacts with people. And I just, where, where did this start to happen? Because you don't even really see it much in the new Testament. Like, why do we no. always feel the no. need to, to, why do we always feel the need to overly characterize and downplay and exaggerate and make these kind of straw man arguments, all these people? It's just an observation that I have. Do, do, what do you think about that? Yeah. Well, you know, um, it, you know, it's, a, it's, it's a been important and a deep question. And, and I don't have a, you know, a, a neat or a definitive answer, but, you know, I think part of it is there's a certain um, you know, psychological orientation that we all bear as human beings that may have been determined by our, you know, the way we have evolved and natural selection and such, where, you know, we, we kind of, um, as a book I'm, I'm just reading now puts it, up, um, by the way, a really good book on Buddhism uh, by a uh, guy by the name of Robert Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T, uh, why Buddhism is true. Anyway, he talks about how we've been kind of just just uh, genetically disposed to think that we are more special than others. Yeah. And and just just in order to, to carry on with the gene pool and all that, you know, I'm, 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 I question some of the the, the the some of the all too clear assertions of how things evolved. Anyway, but there is this this whether it's psychological or even biological orientation to make ourselves special in order to carry on with our with our our contribution to the gene pool or whatever. Well, however you explain it, there is this tendency. That's part of it. The other, I think, was when 
when Christianity, when the Christian community, you know, after, you know, the, you know, the, the, the early 300s, mm-hmm. when Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire. Yeah. When religion gets too tightly bound with any nation or political system, it tends to do what that nation does, namely assert that it is best and it tries to be dominant over others. Um, and that's, I think that's the blight of all religions, whether it's Christianity or even Buddhism, which is supposed to be free of all of these, these kind of contaminations. And we see when, when Buddhism gets too tightly connected with any, relig- any uh, government, with yeah. any nation state, as we are seeing now in Myanmar, to the disgrace of, of, I mean, to the chagrin, to the embarrassment of Buddhists, you know, how Buddhist monks are now taking the political line mm-hmm. of, the, of, the, of, the, of the generals. You know, um, anyway, that's, that's also part of it where we didn't want to put down others and consider our, 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 it's a question of supremacy, you know, I mean, our the supremacy of one nation over others, supremacy of one religion over others, we look down, but that is diametrically opposed, it seems to me, to the message of this Jesus whom we call Lord yeah. and teacher. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It just never, it, we it never to, you know, this what that's why is as good old Luther put it, um, the Ecclesia Semper Reformanda, the church is in constant need of reformation. Yeah. Constant. We never get beyond the need for reformation. <laughs> you know, interestingly enough, that's why I, I love how you said that, that it's, it's diving deeper into the teachings of Jesus and, you know, the gospels and things like that, that actually, yeah made you start to, to think those things. I think a lot of the people that have been on this podcast or even listen to this podcast, and, and myself included, when you, take, when you take your inherited blinders off and you become aware of bias, and yeah. you become aware of you know, the, the pull of what you were being told you had to think, and you actually mm-hmm. just engage with the text, you start to realize things like, boy, Jesus was really never bad-mouthing any other cultures. He was actually yeah. a, a prophet inside of his own it was the people that thought they had it that he was constantly throwing yep. off. Yep. The people, right? The people he got tough with were the religious leaders. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's so it, it's so rewarding to 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 see him always going. No, no, no. That's not. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Yeah, but as you say, as you say, John Didi, you know, and and just to go back to the Gospels and read it with, you know, with fresh eyes. But we, to do that even more effectively or deeply, to do it with others who are also trying to look at it with fresh eyes, mm. so that you can read the Gospels together, you know, and, and hear each other's insights. And stuff. That's why we, we still need community, huh? Oh, you know, absolutely. All the time. Mm-hmm. So, so as, we're, yeah. as we're drawing to a close here, I thought, I thought I'd ask you one, one final question. And um, as we... As we find ourselves in, in rather strange times, specifically in, in the, the United States right now, um, specifically when it comes to relations between religions and and kind of this this thing where we we seem to buy into this idea of this propaganda of fear, and and it seems almost like we yeah. feel like it's safer to stay within our gated communities instead of getting out into 
community and engaging uh, the other. How do we, uh, and, and, and again, Adam and I have tried to do our small part. We did a, uh, a series this year uh, where we brought on guests. Um, we had a, a Muslim guest. Uh, we had a, a Hindu priestess mm-hmm. we had on. We had a Jewish rabbi and had some wonderful conversations. Just tried to not just uh, you know engage them in conversation and, and teach folks a little bit about those individual religions so, uh, to gain a better understanding uh, but just to to I think bring about um, a conversation that 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 shows that these are uh, real people just like us who happen to to be involved in in other religions. So how do we how do we foster a conversation? How do we encourage people to get out and engage in dialogue? How, what does that look like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's I, 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 there of course different ways to answer that question and different ways of approaching it. But I would see. I would see kind of two two ways of inviting, and now let's just talk to our fellow Christians right now, of inviting our fellow Christians to to get to know our followers of other religions and get to know other spiritualities. One would be the more ethical uh, uh, invitation, and the other would be the more spiritual. And by the ethical invitation would be that, hey, we all, we, now just, Speaking especially to the context in the United States, but not only, we all have shared problems. We all have 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 difficulties that we we are engaging that we're worried about for our children. How are you know in terms of economic well-being, in terms of violence in our neighborhoods, in terms of of the homeless in our neighborhoods, um, and in terms especially of some of the environmental questions in our in our neighborhoods and cities and towns, these are problems that can much better be addressed together than separately. So it's kind of the ethical issues, the issues of the issues of what what are we going to do about violence and poverty and all the conflict among religions and that we're hearing to to, to a great extent even from our own from our government now, um, you know, calling upon us to 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 you know to to hate Muslims. How can we engage these problems? And let's, let's come together, maybe to begin not to talk about what we believe, but what we're worried about. <laughs> what we're all worried about together and start acting together and form friendships. Yeah. Form friendships from, from working together. And once you start forming friendships, once you like that Muslim, or you once you really appreciate that Hindu, once you, you, know, you want to sit down and have a beer, well, you don't want to have a beer with a Muslim, um, but because they're not allowed to have drink there. But once you want to have it, invite them over, invite them over for a party or, or just for coffee, um, that's when dialogue starts. And the second invitation, as I said, is more spiritual, is just to give people an opportunity, and maybe you were doing some of this in your podcast, to realize that we can discover more of the reality of God by... In, trying to learn from other religions by exploring what are some of their practices, what are some of their forms of prayer and meditation, um, what they, how they, what God means for them. So that ways of, of deepening our, our own spirituality, there's a richness, there's a real richness there that, um, you know, that, that it can be explored, um, you know, through this kind of a spiritual conversation. Um, as one theologian um, 
for my generation, or actually before my generation, Edward Skilovic put, put, put it, you know, there is, there is more truth in many religions than there can be in any one religion. So we can explore that truth, that spiritual truth, you know, through these kind of, of, uh, of spiritual dialogues where we come together to share each other's forms of prayer, as I said, in meditation. I think, and once people get a sense of, oh my, these forms of Buddhist meditation I can use in, in my own spiritual practice, Christian's practice, this can open up doors as well. Mm. So, but, you know, there, there are many different ways, and let's let each of us do whatever he or she can. Well, you know, I just want to thank so you. I, I just want to thank you for um, not only sharing all these insights with us, but um, I hope it doesn't sound funny to just say you can just tell you're just being so true to yourself. You're so passionate, and you're so you're so being true to what you know you're being called to do in your heart, and that just comes through in spades listening to you talk about all this. Why, well, thank you. I, I really appreciate that. We're you know, we're we're all trying in our different ways, but. Uh, yeah, this is um, this something you know. You get it. I got it from way back in eight, you know, in grammar school that uh, you know, it's a love of a love of this Jesus and of taking him seriously. Um, he has just pushed me to uh, <laughs> to take other religions seriously too as well. So um, it's been a pleasure talking with you and an inspiration. Oh. You know, I'm I'm 78 now and I'm on my you know on my way out to know that there are other younger people carrying on as you two are and, and so many others. It's a real, uh, a real inspiration and satisfaction for me. So I, I very much appreciate this opportunity. Oh, I'm grateful. It, it was absolute honor for us. And, uh, I, I can't thank you enough. And I just want to tell people, encourage them who are listening to, uh, to go out and pick up your books. Uh, no other name without Buddha. I could not be a Christian introducing theologies of religions, which was the, uh, the first book that really got me into your work. Um, it's, it's vital, uh, the work that you're doing and, and those like you. And um, again, I, I just uh, appreciate you coming on the show. It's been an absolute honor for us. Thank you. dude. I already want to have him back on. I know. It kind of reminded me of, I mean, maybe it's the parallel uh, with the fact that he studied under Rahner. It reminds me of when we were talking to Rabbi Art Green and he's like, yeah, I studied under uh, Heschel. And yeah, we were like, yeah. huh? Yeah. Yeah. Abraham Joshua Heschel was cool. uh, my, my mentor <laughs> cool. all, all through school. Yeah. What, what did you just say? Uh, par- pardon me? <laughs> And, and we didn't mention this in the intro, but like uh, Carl Rahner, if you guys don't know who he is, he was one of the pioneer architects behind Vatican II. I mean, he wrote a ton of that material. And, Which and overhauled yeah. a lot of teachings within Catholicism and a lot of like what they were willing to consider and do. And um, if you want a summary of that, you can get it online. But I mean, we're talking like groundbreaking stuff. Vatican II is a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Still is a big deal. Huge. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, um, it, it's such a cool honor to be able to, to interview people like this and, um, yeah. And just to introduce people, uh, cause dinner, you know, like you said, the intro is not probably one of the more well-known names 
you know, beyond like us theology nerds. Um, no, because he doesn't write like a ton of pop stuff. Right. Because like, that's a textbook right there. Right. Like the, the book that we really used as our, you know, our, our skeleton for this interview is this book called No Other Name, which didn't you have to do this for one of your fuller classes? Isn't that where you figured this guy out? Not that one. I actually did his Theology of Religions book. That's right. That's yeah. right. And then they sent us this yep. and we were like, whoa, <laughs> yeah, this is really good. So it's more of an academic book, but it's called No Other Name. <laughs> I'm Ron Burgundy. No Other Name. A critical survey of Christian attitudes toward world religions. And like, come on, guys, if you have grown up in America, I don't even care if you grew up Christian, but like religious attitudes and specifically Christian attitudes, because Christian, Christianity is the dominant religion uh, in the U.S. and always has been, um, is kind of a big topic of conversation. Like what's going on there? Do, do Christians hate Muslims? Do Christian hate, Christians hate Buddhists? Uh, uh, we know Christians already hate each other, so <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> uh, but but then you know subtext behind all of that, like, can you believe different things and still within you know Christian perspective be okay, be in, be saved, whatever that means? And language is really tricky, but surveying those questions is a really really important thing for compassionate, thoughtful, deconstructing listeners to learn how to do. And there's no better guide alive right now, really, for that conversation than Paul Knitter. Yeah, Paul freaking Knitter. I mean, he's really one of the last guys left that helped pioneer those different models. Like most of the people behind the other models, uh, if you look in any of the theology of religions, excuse me, textbooks, most of those guys are dead now. So, <laughs> so like he's really the only living guy left. And like he talks about in the interview, um, you know, he kind of took what what Ronner had kind of started and and took it a step further. Mm-hmm. He was like, yeah. It was good, but it wasn't enough. Yeah, it's like what students do, right? Yeah. It's like what students always do. Mm-hmm. And um, well, yeah, we just owe him a debt of gratitude. I mean, what a great guy. We got to have him back on again. I'd like to get him on at a latter point just to talk about his story a little bit more, which he dives into in great detail in his book, Without Buddha, I Could Not Be a Christian. And guys, I just cannot encourage you enough to pick that up. Whether you're interested in Buddhism or not, uh, the model that he lays out for um, some of the questions that he asked as a theologian, as a young man, um, as uh, somebody coming of age in his faith, uh, and how he went through those questions and the language problem and, and all these kinds of things, it is five. I mean, it's amazing. I, did you know I emailed him? I emailed him. <laughs> no I was about halfway through the book. And I was like, dude, your book is, is making me just like weep. I mean, it is so nailing me to the wall <laughs> and offering me so much hope and optimism and beauty and compassion and inclusiveness and wisdom that it's just, thank you. And he wrote me right back, like within 20 minutes. He's like, you have no idea with how much that means to me. Like knowing that my work helps another like individual in their faith is uh. like the highest compliment and like i was just getting my extrovert on man like you know me <laughs> yeah i have to tell somebody <laughs> let me share this with you yeah uh <laughs> just a great guy and what a what a joy to have him on so i think it, it's i think that's a testament though to one of the things that we've tried to do over the last year in our podcast which is to um open up dialogue be- between other religions yeah and and specifically like the the focal point of this kind of curiosity that we have or this project that we've we've been conducting is just get to people to to open up enough to to gain a little more understanding, and mm-hmm. I think I think you find that once you you seek to understand, then some of the walls start to crumble mm. a little, and it starts to you start to see that the bigger picture maybe in a way you're like oh that's not 
that diff, that sounds so similar to, oh, oh, yeah, wow, this is amazing. And then like what he does in the book, because I really want to plug this thing. We're not getting any commission on it or no. anything like that, but like it, it's just that good. What he does is he starts off with problems in every chapter he uses this model. He starts off with kind of like a problem or a question that he has trouble with in his Christian faith. And then he does what he calls passing over into like, how would Buddhists look at this? Like, how would Buddhists look at this, these concepts, how they, you know, in, interrelate and like resolve or, you know, what, you know what, what is their kind of theory or answer or whatever on this? And then he takes that and he comes back into his Christian identity and he sees how it can interface and, and how it can expand and give room for either him to struggle or for him to look at things differently or whatever. And it's just, it's so good. And I just double checked, but for those of you who have joined our Patreon book club, we're, we're sending that one out. Oh, time. are we sending this one out? Oh, yeah. Oh, good. I didn't even know that. I couldn't remember which one we had picked and I was like, Adam, Adam had... Now that's one I have not read yet, um, so good. And I I was a big knitter fan to begin with, and Adam just like sealed the deal on it. So it's <laughs> the knitter bug. So uh, this one this one's probably the most uh, accessible. Um, yeah, because he he writes a lot of a lot of the other books he has are definitely used in curriculum at at uh, seminaries and colleges and stuff like that. So um, so I think um, I think this one's probably his most accessible. So those of you who are part of the book club, um, look for that coming. Um, this month mm. or you may have already gotten it by now yep we'll it, see it is just it is just so good he says in the first page to leave the familiar to move into the unknown and to become something we weren't can be scary and demanding if this is true of life in general it should also be true of religious faith boom yeah there you go you guys are gonna <laughs> love this book and we can't wait to come to denver yeah. Thank you for everybody that is uh, donating on Patreon, making all of this possible. Ooh. Putting steam in our engine. What do you got? Quick note on that one. Uh, as far as the Patreon orders go, um, for, for those of you that have uh, stuff coming to you, uh, merch or whatever, especially the, the folks who sign up for the, uh, the package that involves T-shirts, um, I try to respond to everybody or send messages through the Patreon uh, website so as not to get mixed up with our regular inflow oh, yeah. of, of emails. So if you haven't gotten a T-shirt yet, I've probably emailed you. Um, so go to uh, check, your, check your inbox, your messages on Patreon, and definitely let me know which T-shirt you want. We've got some new designs up on the website. We've got actually technically three new designs up there. Um, they don't show up on the website until you click on the link that goes to our store. It's good stuff. But you can pick any T-shirt you want on there. Just let me know which T-shirt design and size, and I will make sure that ships out. Um, if you haven't gotten something that you were supposed to by now, please let me know, um, and uh, and I'll definitely make sure that gets shipped out as well. So yep. And then um, for those of you that are looking forward to doing some live conversations with us, that'll be recorded and mm. used for other purposes. Still kind of working out the schedule on that. We're trying to get this live show under our belt and things like that, but that is coming as well. Good times. What music is this, by the way? Oh crap. <laughs> love it when you do that <laughs> i know the answer to this um one moment please one moment please now now's the time of the show where an adam um randomly talks about something while i look this up <laughs> yeah i i i love like i you just got me spotify oh yeah because you, you know you, you helped a brother out <laughs> and um good got me on got me on spotify and uh, i was in the dark on that and now i'm not i see the light 
and I'm following our playlist now. And thank you for updating that because now I feel like I get to re-listen to all the sweet music, not just in like our episodes. And oh yeah, it's, and it's fantastic. And we have a lot of followers on there now. Yeah, we have a like, few hundred on there. Yeah, it's like uh, it's like ramping up, man. People are digging the the Spotify. I didn't know this was like a thing, man. I'm like an old guy. Uh. Dude, Spotify, like, nothing against Apple. I love Apple, and I own tons of Apple products. We use those to record on even and all their wonderful software. But um, I, I had Apple Music for a while, and I, I had Spotify before. it. And the Spotify, like, it's so user-friendly. It's so good, man. Uh, you can just get down a rabbit hole on that thing. But, the music um, catalog is sick. Oh, my gosh. They have everything. So, yeah, and it's and it's super easy. So So we started the playlist for the podcast. It's super easy just... If you type in under search, just type in our, our name, the Deconstructionist Podcast. Our playlist comes up. You can follow it. I update it every web uh, And the D episode. is in brackets, yes. just, just in case you're, you're wondering. I don't think you have to type that in, though. You don't, but like, I, it just, you know, when you're, oh, okay. when you're scrolling, if you don't just like notice that, if you're looking for the normal word, like, you know. A, a, another band pops up. <laughs> right. So, yeah, <laughs> some band. Um, but, but this music that is on this episode today, which is... Anadel. And if I remember correctly, I need to look because I'm I'm like just working on 15 things at once. But I, I believe this is a band um, that is uh, comprised of listeners of the show. So it's another situation where we had oh, sweet, super cool music, and um, yeah, and they reached out to us. So uh, likewise, actually, before I forget, if there's any uh, musicians in Denver, local musicians um, who are interested in having their music on the show and or possibly um, working or playing our event. Please email us at deconstructionistpodcast dot or at gmail. Let's talk. Let's talk. Uh, we need one extra musician potentially. Maybe. Maybe. We're not sure. So let us. So so send us uh, send us an email along with uh, some of your tunes, and we can uh, we can talk. Yes. From there. Let's talk, and then let's talk live. Yes. In Denver. And hug. <laughs> oh man, we're we're so stoked, guys. Um, we love you, and we do it all for you. We do. And that's it. Yeah. It was a fun episode with a lot of announcements. And yeah. now I have to find a way to calm down and go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, that's it for now. Thank you for tuning in. We are your hosts. I'm Adam Narlock. And I'm John Williamson. Keep deconstructing, everybody. We're one step away. Step away from the edge And we're running We're one step away Digging the dirt for some gold While we're running
itself. 